I'm not giving you advice. I'm giving you the stories and experts I wish I had when I got started. So it's fitting that we kick off the show with a true latepreneur story. My guest got a once-in-a-lifetime moonshot chance to pitch his idea for a shot at $50,000 at the recent Archangel Summit in Toronto, which hosted powerhouse headliners such as Simon Sinek, Damon John, Lewis Howes, and more. Why was he one of the five finalists picked? That's easy, because he has the enormously ambitious goal to disrupt a multi-billion dollar market and feed the world. My guest today, Amir Kawaja, tells his Latepreneur story on this episode of The Latepreneur Show. Welcome to The Latepreneur Show, the only show dedicated to empowering first-time founders over 40. How is the entrepreneur journey different when you're over 40? Join host Paula Cooper, Latepreneur and founder of Dinaware.com, as she answers this question. She interviews experts, influencers, business, and thought leaders to help other latepreneurs sidestep preventable fails, provide actionable advice, and inspire them to succeed. Latepreneurs may be late to the party, but not to the hustle. Welcome to the show. Now here's your host, Paula Cooper. I'm so excited today to have Amar on the show. Um, Amar has a company called Mod Garden. So he is a first-time founder over 40, am I right? Yes. Yes. So um, I'm really excited to get at his story today because we're going to talk manufacturing. So welcome to the show, Amar. Thank you. Thank you. Pleased to be here. uh, Well, I'm really excited to get into your brain and and really start to talk about all this manufacturing stuff and your process. So... um, Tell me, Amar, tell me about Mod Garden and how you got started or, or where you came from and, and how you got to, mm-hmm. to be a first-time founder over 40. So um, my background is um, in corporate. Uh, spent some time on Wall Street in, uh, I would say, a soulless existence. So how long were you on Wall Street? Uh, 15 years. Wow. As yeah. a broker? As a uh, structurer, I structured uh, mortgage-backed securities, actually. Oh. And then also spent some time in uh, technology management. Okay. Yeah. Um, p- for personal reasons, I made it to Toronto. I'm not originally a Torontonian, um, but... Uh, where, where are you from originally? Um, born in England. Okay. Um, but I'm Pakistani by heritage. Right, okay. So my parents are Pakistani. So spent some time traveling about okay. in the early uh, childhood. Um, and so got here about 10 years ago. All right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the events that led up to Tiny Farm, uh, we're, so we're rebranding Mod Garden to Tiny Farm. So we call it Mod Garden's Tiny Farm. I guess the inspiration, th- there's a lot. Th- th- there's a lot of prongs that led into the creation of Mod Garden, and we may get into that. Right. But uh, it was just a sense of who I am and what I needed to do for the world uh, that brought me to beginning or starting this venture. So so you when you so so I'm assuming that part of that came from when from the move to Toronto. Did you did you bring your financial background to Toronto when you came here is that is that the sector you worked in? So I ended up uh, taking an early save or retirement. Okay. Uh, to raise the children. Oh, nice. Yeah, so um, my children at the time uh, were 4 and 1. Right. Um, and uh, it was more important that I raise them as upstanding citizens of the world right. uh, before focusing back on myself. Okay. Uh, had a great career, had enough money to live for two to three years, um, you know, completely cut down my life and uh, focused on the children. Um, 
I think that lasted about eight years before I started running out of money. Right. And, uh, <laughs> as, as she tended to without a job. That's right. Um, and uh, decided that I needed to get back in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, where did you go back to the financial sector? Did you go into farming, the tiny uh, farming, right away? No, I didn't. Yeah, so I, I went back to the fi- uh, to the finance sector. Okay, uh, lasted about six months. Oh wow! Before again, reminded me of my soullessness, and uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. And uh, so I stepped back and I said, okay, well, I need to do something that's socially valuable. Um, that adds value to every aspect of the social fabric um, for my children's future, for the future of families who are in need in particular. Right. And so I went through sort of an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And I said, okay, well, what is the most, where, where are, where's a dire need? Right. And all, all along, I've been, I've been learning about things. Right. I've been learning about health. I cared about my health because I had such a sorry existence back on Wall Street. Um, I brought that back trying to look for solutions. So there were many things that led up to me learning about health, me learning about our food systems and how our food is sourced, um, disease, things like that. So because you had you had some health issues related. I'm, I'm assuming because of all of the, uh, I don't know, all, all of the issues that you were having with, with working mm-hmm. on Wall Street and in the finance sector. It, it, accumulated in, in your body into some health mm-hmm. issues. Can you, can you talk to that a sure. little? Sure. So I used to suffer from, in my adolescence, um, he- just regular headaches. Right. Like everybody else does. Right. And we learned to ignore them. By the time I, uh, and I had a minor dry skin throughout my early years. Um, by the time I hit Wall Street, uh, those headaches turned into full-blown blown migraines. I've had those. They're not fun. They're not fun at all. Um, <laughs> me ending up in the emergency room more than one time. Uh, there were, you know, the doctors coming at me with a needle, pumping me with Demerol, and there's no relief. Um, and then there was the eczema. The eczema was so bad that when I picked up my briefcase, my palms used to tear. That's how bad the oh, skin got. It sounds so painful. It, it's, uh, it's not so much painful as just inconvenient and something's wrong. Right. And what I learned while in Toronto, while here, is that these are just mile markers along the journey of life that would potentially end up leading to more debilitating disease in, in the future. Right. And what I learned, again, was fast forward to now, maybe a couple of years ago, is that the only thing that I was really suffering from was a mineral deficiency. Oh, interesting. Now, did you, was that, was that a self-discovery or did you work with healthcare teams to figure that out? Uh, it was self-discovery. So I ended up uh, supplementing with magnesium right. to solve my migraine headaches. And a con- there, there were other things that I did for my eczema, but it was basically clean, trying to clean up my diet and figuring out where, where is the mineral deficiency and why is this happening? Right. So. And so what, what, do, what conclusions did you come from? Like, why was this happening? What was in your diet or your life mm-hmm. that, that was creating these deficiencies for you? Um, the food, very simply put. Um, you walk into a grocery store and 
ask them where the food comes from, the fresh produce in particular, mm-hmm. and they'd be hard pressed to give you an answer. In in what way? In terms of outside of the country, you mean the farm? Where did it come? Yeah, which farm did it come from? Or you know, the most they may be able to tell you is, oh, it came from this distribution or this truck <laughs> dropped it off. Mm-hmm. And this is the brand uh, that we're dealing with. But what are the inputs into the soil, mm-hmm. into the farm? that occurred while growing that food that you're about to put on your table for your family. And what I learned is, uh, you know, I'm going to throw out some statistics and they are changing, they're getting better, but the statistics are still ridiculous. Uh, 97% of the land in the United States, the farming, the agricultural land is treated with pesticides. Um, The case in Canada is just as bad. And, um, is that the same in the UK? And because I, because I, I, my understanding is that they're better over, over, over across the Europe. pond. Uh, they're better in Europe. Okay. Um, Monsanto isn't allowed to predominantly uh, apply their pesticides or herbicides in Europe. Uh, don't know about the UK in particular, in specifically speaking. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's a problem. And then I started to learn about um, links between. So glyphosate is the chemical that's used in the herbicides. That's what it's called. Right. Um, I'm not going to get into a, a, a very it's deep really discussion. It's really technical. I yeah. will take you off of that. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's for another podcast. Right, for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, glyphosate is turning up as in trace amounts in people with the most debilitating diseases. Oh, interesting. And so, you know, add that to this doctor friend of mine, uh, who has a 22-month waiting list, mostly of cancer patients. And he, uh, he, 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 he treats the patients. Uh, he usually gets, um, when you're at stage three or four, it becomes very difficult to treat somebody, especially after chemotherapy. But um, one of the modalities he's use, he uses in his treatment is uh, he, he sends them away with minerals. And in this, on this bottle, it said minerals plus fulvic acid. Fulvic acid is a byproduct that is created when roots grow in soil. Oh, interesting. And so that, you know, so as I began to peel away more and more layers, that led to more enlightenment about what's really going on in the food system, what's really going on with our soils, and it sucks. (laughs) And and so I'm assuming that this is where the idea for Mod Garden came up, is is that traceability is such a, is, is, is not a huge issue or even a huge um, trend anymore. I feel like it's a movement in the way that we're going to be eating long term. I mean, the way that vegetarian changed the food structure about 30 years ago, traceability, I feel like is going to because I, you know, I'm in the, the food segment as well. Yeah. And traceability is is the next movement. And, and it's right. the it's the thing that's going to inform how we eat at home and how we eat out, I think, in the future. And so you can't get more traceable <laughs> than uh, growing your own farm at home. That's right. Right. That's right. Uh, some a, a seed that you sowed, uh, a plant that you watched grow, right. and then the plant that you harvested with your own hands in your own kitchen. With your own soil. It's soil with your, based, with right? With your own soil. Yeah. Yes. That's right. With your own soil. So does Mod Garden then um, provide the soil as well? Yes. Oh, okay. So, so we'll. So tell me. So tell me about the product. So um, <clears throat> it's a self-contained organic vegetable growing unit. Um, 
imagine it as a cabinet uh, that's adjustable. I've seen a, it. I've seen it. It has a modularity. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, it, uh, it's versatile. So, number one, I, I want it to be pragmatic. There are a number of solutions that are on the market that are tiny and they look great. They're great, but if you want to make a meaningful impact or dent into in your wallet, mm -hmm. those systems don't do it. So it's not just for herbs. <laughs> it's not just for herbs. It's for a salad a day. That's my sort. That's sort of my cat, catch line, Sorry. or a salad every other day at, at least. So we're working on it up to we're up to twenty four days. We're working on a salad per day. Um, so you're sitting at your dinner table, you turn around and you snip your salad every day. Um, we're going to be focusing on greens and growing greens. Right. Why? Because they have the most nutrient density right. and they grow faster. You, while you can grow anything you want to grow in soil, you'll get bored of watching root vegetables grow or vegetables that take a long time to grow. So you want to grow uh, highly impactful or highly dense foods um, and turn them over quickly. Okay. And, and so your product, does it um, feed a family of four, say? So um, the largest unit is slated to feed one person their daily salad. So they can turn around, they can snip in leafy greens, some herbs, some microgreens, and then maybe supplemented with something that they purchased from the store, like tomatoes or something like that. If you want to get into um, feeding larger members of more members of your family, then you'll you'll have to make a call at that point by maybe su supplementing the leafy greens with microgreens okay. so that you can get more, uh, again, faster growth and get the nutrients or the minerals in, in the greens. So um, I've seen your product. It looks really cool. Thank you. Um, I'm really curious now, and again, from a late printer standpoint, what did that design and that process look like and kind of what stage are you in and have you had to get funding? You don't have to answer those consecutively. Let's just yeah. start with the design. Do you, yeah. do you have a background in design? I don't. Okay. Yeah, I don't. So you had this, this I'm a epiphany. finance. I'm a finance and tech guy and a corporate dude. A corporate dude. And so yeah. you had this epiphany for this, you know, very uh, cool at-home garden. Mm -hmm. So how did you how did you approach the design aspect of it? Like you 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 got the you got the fire and now yeah. now what? It's a it's a philosophy. It stems from a philosophy. It stems from my background also. I'm considered mid middle class. Um, I like the fine. I've enjoyed the finer things in life. I I enjoy a nice piece of furniture. Um, I sat there one day in my apartment. I live in a condo. And I said, wow, I wish I could grow. I wish I had a garden. I didn't have a garden. So I, I, the next best thing is I wish I could put, I wish I could grow my own salad in my own home. And uh, then I started to piece it together in my mind. Um, what I knew I wanted was something beautiful, something elegant, something warm to the touch, something aesthetically pleasing when you looked at it. But I'm the last person to design something like that. So I approached and I asked her. And who's she? She is a, an architect. She's a leading architect here in Toronto. She's won many awards. And um, So is this somebody that you, you knew before? No. Or somebody just approached cold? Do you want to hear the story I do, about that? I actually do. This is the process. This okay. is what late printers need to know. So I'm half crazy. Okay. Um, I think we all have to be. Yeah. Uh, in that, I'm, I'm really ambitious if I can get behind something. 
And I wasn't getting behind the financial end of things. Um, but I'm taking that training from Wall Street, that discipline, right. that, that deep need to be perfect. Or not need to be perfect, the deep, well, they quest, need... The quest for perfection, perfe maybe. Quest for, for perfect, perfection, perfection, sorry. Yeah. Um, exactly. And uh, I sat there, I was like, wow, you know, I've got this, what I think is a really good idea. But uh, I have no idea to, how to design it, but let's put the concept together. And so the concept was I needed something that was modular, something that would fit into a modern apartment, right. um, had to be also ex easily accessible from a price point, uh, though that was a bit delayed. The, the idea was to... And so I set out on a journey on that quest to find someone to help me design it. Right. And I had no money at that time, or very little money at the time. Because you'd been semi-retired, so, stay-at-home dad for a number of years. For a number of years, that's yeah. right. Um, and uh, so I, I went and did a search uh, online for the top designers in the world. I didn't care where they would be. Right. And one of the the first few turn, that turned up was, I think, what the search results yielded a location, region-specific. So it was Toronto-based, and then it went uh, abroad. And I didn't care if it went to Sweden. I was looking for actually Scandinavian design. Oh, so yeah. the aesthetic. I can, I can, I can I, I see that from yeah, the, the design. You guys have to go to www.modgarden.com, correct? That's right. That's and right. just check out the design. I can, I can definitely see the influence. Yep. So that's that's what was in my mind. But then um, the first person that appeared on my search results of 1,500 people, and that was 1,500 phone calls that I was going to make. And so I called her and I said, hey, I've got this idea. Um, would you be willing, you know, what do you think? Would you be willing to do it? It wasn't her that answered the phone. It was her business manager. And uh, he said, okay, well, you know, and I said, I, I don't really have a lot of money. Um, would you be willing to take a look at this? So what, so what was the pitch? Was that it? Just like I have this great... It was a, it was a 10 minute phone conversation with her business manager. Okay. Um, I got the call back. They invited me in and nice. they basically said, hey, seems to be uh, interested. She wants to talk to you. So then I went and I gave the pitch and the pitch was, you know, here's my vision. My vision is to feed the world. I've always wondered, I, as cliche as that sounds, right. save the world, feed the world. That's right. You're on some pageant, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, something that I've, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I've, I want to make an impact, not from a legacy perspective, but from a perspective of a good solution that adds value to society. And so that's how I spoke with her. And I've got this drive like Elon Musk, I will stop at nothing. And I guess she saw that. I didn't call myself Elon Musk. Neither do I even put myself in the same I, I don't room. Think, I don't think many many <laughs> people get to that point. They might have some ideas, but he's a, a fabulous executor. Absolutely. And, and that's the key. Yeah. And she, she said, yeah, no problem. I, she said, um, I said, I don't want you to do it for free necessarily. Should this become successful, we'll, we'll, pay, your, we'll pay your fee. Um, and she was like, yeah, this sounds great. And so that's her design. Oh, that's really cool. It's the power of cold calling. I yes. think it's really important. And so you get the design in hand, and, and now what? Um, did, she, did she just do the design of the product, or did she do the mechanical design as well? Just the renderings. Okay. Just the, just the design of the product um, on, in digitally. And uh, so now we have that. And, you know, the day and age that we live in today uh, is vaporware. 
Uh, I'm not a vaporware guy. A vapor vaporware. Vaporware means that um, you have nothing but an idea and you get funded for it. Interesting. Um, I, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, so I'm not a, traditionally I'm not a vaporware guy, but I embrace the trend. Right. I'll, 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 Im I'll recognize a trend for what it is and we'll embrace it because of the time as times change. And so the, the idea was to take that rendering and the idea and the passion and the value that this product would bring to society and run a Kickstarter or a, you know, a crowdfund campaign. Right. That was the idea. Um, but as I got into it and as I learned more about what it would take to really build this. Which is? Which is, meaning, you know, understanding the materials that are going to be used, understanding how it adjusts how it's modular and i'm and i'm using quotes i'm you can't see me on yeah, yeah. that's okay um how it's modular so all of these things that i wanted embodied the automation mm -hmm. untested so and that's largely what crowdfund these days is is untested vaporware or digital designs right um that are a dream that people want to bring to market and there are so many entities hardware entities that have brought um, have run uh, crowdfund campaigns and have failed and I've spoken to a few of them and uh, that caused me to pull back a little bit from the plans of running a Kickstarter campaign immediately and start prototyping okay so that and that's a very different process then so what so how do you how did you start prototyping um, and what was that process and what did you have to source in order to begin that? So what I started to do was I started to, again, go back to uh, the search engine and start uh, looking for people who prototype. So you, Google was your friend? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think Google's everybody's it's friend. A, it's a directory. It's, it's, it's finding people who are experts, who, who know how to do things and then how to get them to um, side with you or partner with you in some, in some manner. Well, I don't think Google does that. I think that's no, what that's you a, do. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, 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 it's information, and it's what you do with that information right. at, at the end of the day. And so, yeah, I started searching for prototypers. Um, again, it's language that I don't speak. Engineering speak is completely, it's a foreign language to me. Right. Um, but you do a lot of asking around. So you tap into your network. Um, and you ask, what about, you know, I'm trying to do this, what do you think? I'm trying to do this, what do you think? I'm trying to do this, what do you think? And then, you know, what came back was industrial designer. Um, you, you want somebody to put this together. So what I did was I knew it would never be built out of wood because right. wood, water, air just Warping. don't mix. Uh, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't mix. The soil does, just doesn't mix. But we wanted, I wanted to get a reaction that people, more than a digital render, from people actually touching it and, and noticing the concept. And so what I did was I built it completely out of wood. And I approached a wood, woodsman, uh, a woodworker. Um, woodsmith, isn't that what they're called? Woodsmith, woodsmith. Maybe yeah. Not. Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah, he's a car yeah, happens to be a carpenter too. And I said, can you build this? He said, yes. And he quoted me. And it seemed like a really hard high price for a piece of furniture, but uh, because it's one-off. Um, there, you know, there's, it's, it's all manual. You have, right. to, you have to do the curves manually and all. So he built it and I showed it at a trade show. Um, what, what trade show did you do? I, it was a local cultural show okay. at the Metro Convention Center. Okay. 
and I put plants in it. There were real plants, but they were faked, right? You, right. you put the plants in, and you, you, you have shelves, and then you've got these lights. And, um, and I showed it, and I collected 60 email addresses. And everybody came back and said, nobody said, oh, this sucks. Everybody said, wow, this is really cool. This is really cool. Da, da, da. And that egged me on. That was enough for me to say, okay, I'm willing to spend more of my money continuing this process, continuing along this venture. Um, so, yeah. you, so, you di- so you did the prototyping. That was your market research, was just going to the... Go into where the people were, and they, they came back and they said, yay. That was so, the so how So how much, can I ask how much money you, vet, you had invested by that point of your own dollars? Yeah. I think it's important for people to actually have some hard numbers around there. People talk in vagaries, and, um, you okay. know, as a latepreneur, yeah. I really want to know what things are going to cost me, as you right. as you did, right? It make, right. It, it's, it's important. So if you don't mind. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um so there's a there's probably six months of um, pre time prior to that prototype that I had begun to think about it, and the first thing that I thought about, which I left out, was that I started to write a patent. Okay. And that's another story, by the way, where um, so I'll, let me ask, answer your question, and then I'll get okay, into the okay. uh, into right, the patent good. thing. So the, the the hard dollars behind that wooden prototype was seventeen hundred dollars. Okay. Seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars. Okay. It was around that much. Um, there were other onesies, twosies. You know, fifty dollars here, two hundred dollars right. here. Th- those are all part of the process. But right, but at that point, your financial commitment wasn't huge. It wasn't huge. Yeah, okay. That's right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something important be- prior to contacting was. I needed to do a patent and protect myself somehow. Right. And again, I know how much attorneys cost, and so I had a couple. Of, I had a couple of relationships, and I asked them, "Would you be willing to do it for nothing on a promise to pay later, or during Series A?" Is what I was right. basically going after. Do you find this compelling? Yes, we find it compelling. Are you willing to put your um, reputation behind it? Are you willing to defer your fee until a later date? If you really believe in me, mm-hmm. then defer your fee till Series A. Right. And I'll explain what Series A is if, if you want. Um, some people said no, yes. Most people said no. And so I, call, call, I began cold calling a, a patent attorney. Right. And uh, so I called this one gentleman. Um, I won't mention the No, the, we, we, the we, don't, we don't want him flooded with yeah. requests <laughs> free, for free. free exactly. Free. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, I, but, but what I did was I Googled, again, top patent law firms in Toronto. And I got a small set of maybe three or four law firms that kept coming up with different search. And I cold called them. I cold called the partner of uh, the IP, the head of uh, IP, intellectual property law. And he said, oh, so you want me to invest in you? And I said, okay, in a matter of speaking, I went through my pitch. I said, this is what my idea is, but I don't have any money. And he goes, oh, so you want me to invest in you? He goes, okay, well, pitch me. So I pitched him. I pitched him for, I spoke for about 30 minutes. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And the pitch was basically, you know, exactly what I went through. This is my idea. This is why I'm doing it. There's a compromise. In the, there's a food crisis, blah, blah, blah. It's a social enterprise, but it's for profit. And he said, I'll do it. And I said, um, if I raise a million dollars, I'll give you your fee. Is, is that your Series A VC that you want to go for? It's a it, usually when you raise a million dollars, it's usually seed or Series A. Okay. 
okay. uh, depending on where you are in the process. Um, Series A could be a lot more than that too. And uh, yeah, so he wrote me a retainer that said a million dollars and we get paid. Wow. Yeah. And, and, he, and he's done the patent for you already? He has. That's fabulous. Yeah, the, a provisional, it, it, he wrote a provisional patent. It's it, called a provisional patent. It really, you know, the, the last, uh, you know, finding your uh, architect and finding your patent lawyer speaks really strongly to the power of the cold call. And I think that, or even the cold email, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that people overlook that a lot, especially younger people. Um, they they don't see the power in that. And most of my business with all of all of the big brands that we work with have all been cold emails, all of them. So it's, it's very important to just take that risk. You know, I mean, Absolutely. it's not just the risk to put your idea out there or put, uh, put your idea into practice, but actually sell that idea with a lot of cold calling and a lot of hustle. That's right. Um, they have to believe you. Mm -hmm. Pick up the phone to call them because they're not getting a lot of calls. Yeah. Pick up the phone to call them. Email has... Um, ho-hum response if it's cold mm -hmm. it's better to I'm a I'm a, an eternal networker I love networking right. I love meeting people I love talking to anybody that I meet even on the street um, pick up the phone people want to talk to you especially if you feel like you're as adding value well, and, and they can hear the passion behind your voice. I mean, in the early days, I mean, that was how I was able to get anybody on the phone on the surface. Mm. Uh, you know, my business is in food allergies. The minute you say those words, people blank out. Right. <laughs> but um, once I spoke to them and under, and they understood the passion behind it and that there was a real driving force behind the brand and what I was really trying to accomplish, I made inroads. So mm -hmm. definitely Absolutely. the power of cold calling is really uh, important. So... Um, so you're in a you're are you in VC round right now? Are you looking for funding right now? Um, yes, I am. Okay. Yes, I am. Have you raised any money to date? No, it's been self funded. Uh, I have raised. Uh, I, I did a small friends and family round, twenty five thousand dollars for my brother. And um, and and so talk about the anxiety that comes with taking money from your family. Yeah, so I don't want to do that. Right. Um, but uh, he's got some money, so. So you said, <laughs> said you, you give you're me like, your yeah, money. Hey, buddy, you're a, hey, bro, you're a doctor, so uh, yeah. So it's this is what I'm doing. If you if you like it, you know, um, but just know that you're gonna lose your money. I, you know what? It's so important for you to say yes. that. Um, you know, when you you uh, I can't remember who said this that when you get into business with family that that should always be your starting Absolutely. point. And and if they go into it with that expectation, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, not just latepreneurs, do this wrong because they they have they believe in their idea and they have visions of what it's going to be, so that they promise the world to get the money up front. I think that you so important to say that it should sure. really be backwards. That sure. you know you're going to invest, you're probably going to lose this money. Right. Just actually plan on losing the money, and Absolutely. then and then it's a happy surprise. You know when your idea makes it, and then you can pay them back with exactly. interest and a vacation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, agreed completely. Um, so the, the, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot in between uh, that I've left. I've done four prototypes, and oh, each wow. subsequent prototype has served a purpose uh, and delayed my crowdfund launch to get to where I am today. Um, so um, we can get into that a little bit. But in terms of your question, as it relates to VC and fundraising, right. it's been self-funded throughout. There was a, a twenty-five thousand dollar investment 
from my brother. Right. Uh, and to date, I've probably spent um, close to one fifty to two hundred thousand dollars of my own. Wow. Money. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of money. Somebody, uh, somebody happened to owe me the money. Um, if I had it, I probably would have spent it all in one place. And that's one of the key takeaways is that when you have money sitting in the bank, well, I, I, I had a tendency to spend it in terms of investing, not necessarily right. myself, but I, I, I just, just needed to get it out of my bank and, and invest it. That, that old adage, you, you've got to, you got to spend money to bank money. That's right. Yeah. In, in a manner of speaking. Yeah. Um, but it trickled in luckily for me. And I was always living on the edge, the precipice of getting kicked out of my apartment because I couldn't make rent the next day. And, and your children are still living with you at this point? We're 50-50. Okay. So we have joint custody. Right. Uh, the kids are older now. They're 13 and 16. Right. And so it's easy for me to kind of get away and do my meetings. Right. Right now. Um, so that allowed me, and that's... Uh, and I, and I say this purposely, um, that living on the edge, that precipice, caused my mind to be creative and desperate and driven even more so to get this thing over the finish line. A, a funny side story with that. Um, I just read an article recently that um, when you have to pee, you know, when you, you're just bursting yeah. at the bladder to pee, apparently that actually helps your decision making. So I, it, I think it's the same concept that if you, it, you, you know, you, you create the, not saying that I recommend that people do this, no, right. uh, living I on wouldn't. the edge business with yeah. it, but I feel like, you know, you get to um, an urgency point mm -hmm. um, and, and it forces a, a decision making factor with people. And, it and same thing with creativity, it will force that creativity to come out of you because you have that, that decision making. It's not for everybody, um, but, but I've definitely done this as well. I've done this living on the edge and I've done it the other way as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, they both have their merits, mm -hmm. but it certainly, it's, it's like procrastinating, right? To the, mm -hmm. to the very last minute. And then it just, it, it opens up these creative sectors in your brain that you didn't know existed. And, and these ideas just start to come out, I, I guess, okay. mothers and, or necessities, the mother of invention, right? For sure. It's not a great place to be. No, especially uh, you, when you're you, still have a young you, family. You don't want to be in that position ever, but it does, uh, you know, uh, maybe it was the will of the creator or, you know, uh, that this is the way it's supposed to be and this is how I'm going to learn my lesson. Right. Um, I used to spend money very freely. Right. I've always lived in this middle class existence. Right. Um, and it was never an issue. But so can, I, yeah. can I interrupt? So uh, really interesting. So you've come from like a very serious financial background. Um, I mean, you know, working on Wall Street and working in the finance sector, even here for that short time in Toronto, I'm really curious, how, how did you feel or reconcile that feeling? Because, I mean, you, you have a very analytical mind, I would assume, in terms of money. So when you're living on a, a, in, a, in a stage where you, you're worried about paying rent, how, how, did, how did that feel emotionally to you? How did you reconcile that? You know, were you hard on yourself or did you, were you just more uh, focused on getting out of the situation that you were in? I reconciled it with the vision mm. and it, it continued to 
I'm using uh, not a, such a great word, but egg me on as I produce the prototypes. Motivated, yeah. It motivated me to continue at it. Right. Um, nobody ever came back to me and said, we don't need this in the world. And I looked at the other solutions. I'm actually looking to disrupt a major, a billion dollar market. I'm not going to uh, mention that right at the moment. Um, but what I learned in health and the food crisis that's going on today um, I'm making it my mission. And you have to dig deep. And you establish a philosophy about why you exist during this, these periods. Uh, you begin to meditate. I'm already uh, somebody who um, does some meditation, but I really got into setting time aside purposefully and meditating and allowing free thought to enter into my mind from a from both a settle the brain down and from an idea creation flow right that's really helped out in yeah. a big way so the the emotional side, so you you reconciled the emotional side of things with not just changing who you are in a business sense but changing who you are in a personal sense as well or Absolutely. improving who you are in a personal sense that's that's the key and if i may i i want to quote sure. something from this book. Which book are you? Are you which book I'm, are you? Uh, I'm quoting from De, Brevit, De Brevitat Vitae, which is translated as On the Shortness of Life. Okay. Most people complain that life is too short. To these bitter folk, life hurtles by like a runaway mare, so fast and furious that it is, that it is impossible to discern its meaning before it's too late. So what does that mean to you? What this means to you, what this means to me is that life is so short not to do something meaningful. Um, I'm in my 40s. And I asked myself a question one day. If I find myself lying on my deathbed and looking back at what I accomplished in life, I wouldn't want to ever say that I worked on Wall Street. I'd want to say that I died trying, adding value to society and people. And that's the key here. And 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 I and I think that's the key for a lot of latepreneurs that they you 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 get to a point where you realize that wow I've all I've lived maybe half of my life mm -hmm. or almost half of my life, and um, you know we live in this really fantastic age where um, the entry to market or the entry to business isn't closed off the way that it was in the past. I mean, anybody can do it. And, um, and we're, we're not just living longer, we're living more productive second, our second acts mm -hmm. are more productive. We have, you know, it's, it, we don't have the nursing home syndrome. We want to live that totally. to the furthest. And so now we've got this pocket of time and this pocket of ambition and this, you know, this pocket of health. Now what are we going to do with it? And, right. and, and I, a lot of latepreneurs are, are at this. They just they don't want to leave this planet without making the mark and doing some good. It's beautiful. It's, um, it's a culmination of our experience. When, when you turn 40... Um, there's a philosopher that says wisdom sets in um, at 40 about your existence. And um, couple that with the, your actual 
experience that you've had over the last 20 to 30 years. And then I intend on living the next 40 years. That's a long time. It's a very long time. Right. And, you know, maybe in, in, some, in some cases health isn't getting better, but you can live a healthy existence way into your 90s and be completely with it, sharp-minded exactly. and the whole thing. You just have to know what you're putting into your body. And that's it, yeah. That's really interesting. So what, is, so what do you think that you've brought into the fold as, a, as an entrepreneur um, in your 40s as opposed to doing this in your 20s? Yeah, you know, I did try to do it in my 20s and I fell flat on my face. My dad gave me $50,000. To do? To do, run a marketing company out. It was, it was a marketing, it was like something related to cosmetics marketing and it was being run out of uh, Florida, and um, it 50, went flat. Fifty grand is a lot of money back 50, then. That's right. It's still a lot of money now, yeah. but yeah. That's right, in 1990, 1991. Um, and why do you think it fell flat? Um, you know, the people that I was, I didn't read the people that I was involved with properly. Um, it was a product that I didn't really care about. Um, and so we, and it wasn't my, it was, it wasn't, it was us inventing, uh, investing in an entity and I joined them as something. Right. And there was really nothing going on. They just took the money and pretty much ran <laughs> with a lot of other people's. Oh. So inexperience. And, and, and what happened was that that lasted about six months. Uh, that's when I spent six months in Miami. Um, I like Miami. I picked up the phone and I said, Hey dad, can I come back? And he said, yes, of course, my son, you can come back. Um, I was, I think, 21, 22 years old. I had just graduated from NYU. Right. Um, and I basically said to myself, I said, I'm not doing this. I'm, I do not know how to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to just put my tail between my legs and get a job and learn how to learn the discipline. Right. And when I joined Merrill Lynch, I was in a sea of people who were all Harvard or Yale grads. And the only thing this person used to tell me was, you've got to pay your dues. For four years, that's all he beat into my head. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to pay your dues. I paid my dues for 15 years. And I moved up and I did very well. Um, and I was happy. I was happy because I was focused and disciplined. And I knew what I wanted. I had my sights set on becoming a COO, if you will. Right. And I carved out a path. I got into Wharton and Penn Engineering schools, and um, I carved out a path for myself, and this is it. So really goal-oriented myself, and it worked. Right. Goal, goal orientation works. Focus works. Structure. Discipline works. And that's where, I, in, my, in life, that's where I was the most successful. So you're, you're good at something you didn't want to do. That's right. I could I could fake it. Yeah. And uh, the excuse was the divorce, and that's what caused us. That was that. That's a personal. That's a personal issue that caused us to come to Toronto and raise the kids together right. as a good divorced couple, uh, for the sake of the children. And so um, I took that save, and then whatever I'm doing now is with that extreme focus, that discipline. Um, and that value now, that internal sense of my own value and who I want to be and who I want to see myself when I turn around on my deathbed and look back on. So 
you know, I know we're getting off topic here because we were talking about, you know, what you were bringing into it. Um, uh, you know, what, what, what you would be as a business person now as opposed to what you would be in the 20s. But I'm really mm -hmm. curious as to um, how your family thinks of this. I mean, it's you're different when you're when you're 20. You know, your dad get, you know threw 50 grand at you. You know, you've got all of the chutzpah and you're ready to go. And um, you know, you're young and youthful, and they want to invest in you. Did you have the same reaction um, with your family now? Then you're in your 40s and you had responsibilities and obligations. How how did your family respond when you were taking this enormous risk? My I have three younger brothers. Um, they're all for it. Um, they don't know because they live in the state in the states. Mm -hmm. They're far away. They don't know the day-to-day -day imaginations that's going on. As far as my kids are concerned, they don't know any better. They're like, you know, Dad is here. Is he spending time with us? <laughs> and you know all that. It's um, it's friends. Uh, again, it, it just comes down to uh, your passion and the solution that you're providing to the world, and you're being able to convince anybody, whether it's family, friends, or acquaintances, that the world needs this. Have you had any pushback from family that you um, all like on the surface that you're aware of? So my father wants me to get a job. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he's the parents. He, he doesn't have full insight into um, my finances and what I'm doing. Thank Thankfully, yeah, exactly. Let's let, so he won't listen to. This yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, he probably won't. He's still in the. Uh, I don't think he even has a computer. Um, but. Um, you know, at the, at the other, on the other end, we're over forty. We can make our own decisions, and uh, so there hasn't been a lot of pushback. People, people are like, "Yeah, this this could work," and so that's part of the motivation behind it. That you know, I'm bringing something to to market that's of value. Mm -hmm. um, passion by itself isn't going to do anybody any good. You cannot just be passionate. You could sit around and be passionate in your head all, all day, day long. long. Yes. Exactly. It has to be systematic. And it Execution. has to it has to be value. It has to be it has to have value. So passion plus system plus value equals success. So a systematic approach. Is, is that what you tell your dad when he says get a job? <laughs> uh, no, he no, he doesn't have that much. Uh, we don't talk. Uh, we don't talk um, in that much detail. Right. Uh, he just wants to know am I doing well with health, and he's asking about the kids. So it's not. It's not like yeah. You know, I'm getting. I, I'm not bringing him in for. It's like telling your wife. Well, who has who says get a job because we need to make you know we need right. to put food on the table. So yeah. So 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 how would you approach that in? Uh, for people who you're not getting a lot of pushback because it sounds like you're not hearing, even if it's there, you you just tune it out. Is that is that your approach to it? Is that you just don't hear the the pushback or the negativity, or do you just not invite it, or are you just really not getting it from people? Um, I'm not getting it from people because because you know, at, on one hand, I'm over forty and. But you I'm have responsible. Yeah. Oh, I have right. oh, okay. So, you... so, so I have to have a, a, a sense of responsibility for putting food on the table and, right. and, and being there for my children. So the, the freak out you just keep inside and it's just calm waters on the front and nobody sees yeah, it? Um, is, that, is that how it th works? There, there are some close friends who do see it. Okay. Um, they, there, is a, there is a fear uh, inside, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I, live, I do live with that fear daily, but... 
So how do you change that cause that state when yeah. you feel fearful? What do you do? So a great book is The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. I've uh, read it. To read that, to, to kind of embody that. Again, Staying my present. philosophy um, already speaks, uh, I, and I'll qu- I, I might quote from here or there, but my philosophy already embodies them, and I'm only quoting because they're, they're so good at articulating in their books. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's living in the now. It's making sure, and, and it's, it's, it's knowing that people have been in worse situations than you have. And if, you're, if you really believe and you've gotten confirmation from your close and near close network, then you're onto something. You're va- I'm constantly validating. I, I, I'm a guy who's an analytic, analytic thinker, mm-hmm. and I've worked it out that it, one plus one will end will end up being a successful venture. Right. And so I'm so because I've got that formula there, I have to execute on that formula, and that's basically my mission. Well, and I think that as a latepreneur, it's not just the one plus one formula or that equals two. It, it's it's the understanding that it's going to be one plus one plus one plus one plus one, one mm-hmm. plus one to the however long, and we've developed over the years patience. We can wait it out because we have learned how to put in our dues and do the stuff we hate and do the stuff we don't like and do the stuff we're fearful of and constantly bring us back to state mm-hmm. in a positive state where we believe in it. I mean, I, and I think that for most of us, we're realistic enough to know that if it was a crap idea, we we would have given up a long time ago, That's but right. it takes time to build. I mean, yeah. like you think about how how old Google is now and how, where they started or Apple and where they started. Mm. I mean, it take, that didn't, that, that major success, you know, uh, society changing success did not come within the first three years. Right. Peter Diamandis is another um, influencer for me um, that I admire. Um, he spent 10 years um, going after a dream to send, you know, go to Mars. Um Elon Musk, I would highly recommend anybody who's a risk taker to watch Risk Takers and the Elon Musk uh, story. Um, I agree. Uh, You know, I mean, especially with Elon Musk, because he's not just a risk taker, a visionary. He's one of the most effective executors I've, I've followed in my career. Um, he just is able to take, I mean, Steve Jobs was like that, but, you know, he's able to take it an idea, say how long this is going to take, you know, put a timeline around it and then cut that in half and somehow still make it happen. Right. You know, I, I, I love that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I wish I could just absorb that into my pores and my DNA. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Part of my training uh, was um, when I was in technology as project management, in project management, and it was all about execution. Mm-hmm. There are so many, even the colleagues at J.P. Morgan, when I was at J.P. Morgan, you, you, they fall by the wayside because they're unable to deliver. At the end of the day, just deliver, even if it's 60% of mm-hmm. what y- where you're at. Mm-hmm. Deliver, mm-hmm. execute. Mm-hmm. You'll, you can build on that. Agree. And so that's part of what we're doing here is... I feel like I could, you know, I, I feel like I've made mistakes. I've probably lost six to nine months uh, coming where we are with uh, Mod Garden. 
but it's a lesson learned. But did, but did you actually lose time or did you... Learn. Yeah. Oh, constantly. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I look back at it and y y the power of now teaches you not to have regret. You know, again, my own philosophy teaches me not to have regret because it doesn't do regret does no good. Right. The only thing it does is if you had regret, understand it, figure out what the lesson was and then drop it mm -hmm. because there's no time. Well, and you can't you can't affect the the past and no, the future is in here. This is all we That's have, right? right? So right. it's it's important you to stay. You have control over your present, right? Yeah. And it is one of my personal philosophies: trying to always get to present. I'm not always successful there, mm. but um, you know, when I feel fear, that's usually I'm coming back to where I'm at, and also reminding myself that this is a choice. Right. That if I could go back to soulless existence as well, if I right. wanted just the paycheck, but that's not where. I'm headed. Right. So tell me um, how you start your day. What does your What does your morning look like? So the first thing um, I do is I pray. Uh, I'm grateful for my existence, uh, and then how long do you take to do that in the morning? Do you get up uh, early? Are you an early riser? Yes, I get up around five five thirty. Right. Uh, depending on when I slept the night before, um, and then. Um, uh, I do a prayer to God, so I, I I believe that there's a I I we we have to be grateful, and I don't being I don't mean being grateful to the universe and what the universe does. It's too esoteric for me. I need something that I can latch on to, right. and so I do that, and then I move into a twenty minute meditation, right. on, without even picking up my phone. Right. I I will not pick up the phone. I'll turn the phone off the night before into airplane mode, and then I'm getting better at it. Um, and then I'll do a 20-minute meditation. Yeah, a lot of the most um, successful people on the planet have that very similar uh, approach. Up early, meditate, right. don't touch the phone for the first 30 minutes. They, it gets them in, it changes their state. Tony Robbins, I know, has a very, has a, you know, has a, he incorporates cold water in there, does some dunking procedures. Right. So right. there's a lot, of, he calls it priming. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, I love taking walks before dawn. Mm -hmm. um, it's so quiet. Nobody's up, um, if I can. Clears the mind. It does. And I, I live near the lake also, so it's, it's, it's just a beautiful walk. Greenery, you know, you try to get as much, um, because, you know, in a condo building, who knows what EMFs are coming around. Right. So getting out uh, and being with nature and just allowing whatever happens, happens, meaning thoughts, allowing the air to flow around you and just be, just be there. Um, I'm not very good at that. I'm getting better at it. Mm -hmm. um, the Wall Street training, the Wall Street engine trains you to be in a sense of urgency and always behind the eight ball and you're always chasing. And I don't want to chase. I want to be mm -hmm. and allow things to chase me. And and put it put it put it in that perspective. It's a, just a, it, it allows it opens up that space for creativity. For sure. When, instead of you filling it up, you're allowing the creativity to fill you up. That's right. Yeah. Um, on the days that I don't have my kids, I'll uh, actually no, I'll, I'll 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 go and I'll make a um, I'll make a coffee despite uh, the objections of uh, certain health. Don't drink coffee. I cannot <laughs> live without my coffee. I have given up a lot of other things, but it's the one thing that, I, well, I'm, I won't say that I won't ever, but uh, I, I, I really like it. Right. It's part of the meditation. It's part of, um, I, I, I don't enjoy, I, I don't, I actually make it by hand and 
I'll, I'll. It's a sensory thing. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'll, 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 I'll smell the coffee before I grind it. Then I'll grind it, and then I'll smell it again. You turn it into another meditation. Yeah, in okay. a way. Okay. Um, and then there's a process that I go through to to do that. And while I'm doing that, I'll go through my list for the day. And and, and is it a to do list or is it's a it to do a... list? Okay. Yeah. So I'll I'll move things over from yesterday, the day before, to today, and add that to my list. I put little boxes there as check boxes to you know, in my diary. And um, I'll highlight the item that's the most onerous or the, or the the one that I don't want to do. And that's the one that I'll chase. Eat, you eat the frog first. Yes, that's okay. right. Good. Um, if you'd known, when did, so how long ago did you start Mild Garden? It's probably been about two and a half years now. Okay. So if you knew two and a half years ago what you know now would you still have become a late printer wow um i i knew it would be a slog i knew it it, it would be difficult i didn't think it was it was going to be this difficult um it's tough it's a it's a lonely existence um and and you stop hanging out with friends and especially when you're not making any money, it becomes very difficult to... I love treating people. I love having people at my hum, home. And I haven't had that meaningfully. I love traveling. Yeah. I have not traveled in a long time. Um, I have to say yes, because it's not about being a late, latepreneur or being, you know, it's about bringing something to the world. I'm not... I'm. I'm I'm doing life. That's what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm trying to bring something to the world that I believe the world needs. It's a form of an empowerment. And that is what my, uh, so what, what assets do I have? What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for being articulate, being, having a brain, having intelligence, having emotional wherewithal, having my health. So that's enough. Would you have done anything slightly different when you started out two and a half years ago? Wow, another another tough one. Maybe I'd be more aggressive. Um, so I've definitely learned things along the way. Um, I've learned to recognize people who are along for the ride because of who I am and people who genuinely believe in the cause. And so people who came along for the ride because they wanted to be part of the story that didn't have the passion. I, now I'm able to recognize them um, more formidably, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, I'd, I'd, I'd be able to weed that out. Picking uh, people's very common yeah. issue, or, or the trouble with picking the right people is very common. Right. What else would I do differently? Um, I don't think I, uh, you know, I, I think I, I would continue. I would do this. Um, there might be some things along the way that I would do differently or better mm -hmm. because of what I've learned. Simple as that. It's a first-time entrepreneur. It's it's the first time me being an entrepreneur. So there's a my ver, my learning curve is vertical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. My, mine's almost like straight uphill. Exactly. Degrees, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which is why I started this community. Yeah. Um, do you have plans to retire? Do you ever want to retire again? Um, so so we have to def redefine retirement. Retirement isn't sitting on a beach. I'm never, ever, ever going to do that. Um, I'm a lifelong learner, 
and I will continue to learn till my last day. Um, as long as I have it in me, I'm going to be working. And that's who I am. That's how I'm, I, I, and, and working doesn't necessarily mean having a nine to five job. Working means waking up every day and not taking a vacation. Working means waking up every day and contributing in a meaningful way to humanity. Mm -hmm. And loving what you're doing. And loving it at the same time. Yeah. So final question. Tell uh, our audience why it's not, it's not too late. Yeah, it's, wow, you've come such a long way in, especially if you've crossed 40, that wisdom would be a sin almost to let it slide. And, uh, you know, just take the experience, what your learnings, you may or may not have raised children, you've interacted with so many people of different walks of life, you've read books, that all should culminate to something that you're passionate about if you're in an existence in an existence where you're not you're not doing something that you're passionate about um, if you really want to add value and if you really want to have this feeling that when you're lying on your deathbed and you turn around and you want to say wow i'm satisfied because that's all we're trying to do we're not saying wow i'm happy we're saying yeah it was a meaningful existence then you have to do it today. I agree. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. My it was pleasure. such a great interview. I'm, I can't wait to get this out to the community. Um, so tell people where they can find you. So um, my, uh, you, you can, um, we mentioned the website. It's uh, modgarden.com or oh, tinyfarm. And, and just spell it again. Just so people uh, the easier one is tinyfarm.io. Okay. So yeah, that's easy to do. Um, and then you can always contact me at um, amar at modgarden.com. And my name is spelled A-A-M-A-R at M-O-D-G-A-R-D-E-N.com. And, and social media? Social media. Our Facebook is The Mod Garden and uh, Twitter, Instagram, and I think Pinterest are all Mod Garden. So only Facebook has a the in front of okay. Mod Garden. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. It's a pleasure. Good. Thanks. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also find us at latepreneur.com and follow Latepreneur on Twitter and Instagram. Show recorded on site at the College of Sports Media. Your ticket to the show.